Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello, everyone. Hi. I am the ghost of Christmas past, (laughs) otherwise known as Jeff Metzger. I'm one of five leave pastors that have led this congregation in the last 90 years. Isn't that incredible? Five lead pastors in 90 years? I mean, how insane is that? Uh, And I'm grateful to be here today. My assignment today is to talk about the importance of remembering the past. And that's what I am. Now, I will tell you, the past is important because echoes of the past can give us purpose and power in the present if we listen to them. When I thought about this, I thought, what in the world does the Bible have to say about remembering the past? So I did a little word search. Would it surprise you to find out that we are commanded to remember 352 times in the Bible? Add in the other kinds of things like forget not and call to mind. Oh, that's over 600 times the Bible says reflect on the past for strength for the present. So today I want to, I want to challenge you to think about something. Do you remember, can you remember what you were doing in February of 1987? Matt was learning the alphabet, he told me. I mean, uh, uh, we probably don't have a lot of specific memories that old, but I have one specific memory of that month. I was sitting in my office in Catlin, Illinois, when Shirley Neville, one of the world's best administrative assistants, walked in and handed me a letter. She said, Jeff, this letter is from a church in Fort Myers, and I know they're looking for a new pastor, but you would never want to move to Fort Myers. They have giant cockroaches down there. (laughs) And we laughed, and I opened a letter, and it was from John Meredith. And sure enough, the church was looking for a pastor and said, we'd like to call and see if you have an interest, and we'll call in a few days. Well, yeah, that's nice, you know, you, you're doing a decent job. You get letters like that from time to time. Months went by, and finally, I, I think it was in May maybe, that John finally called. Had to get through Easter, you know, and said, hey, would you be interested in coming to Fort Myers? And I said, no, there are giant cockroaches down there. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, uh, we really, we were loving what we were doing. God clearly called us to Illinois and hadn't had a sense of release on that, but John was kind of persistent. He said, well, we need somebody to supply preach. Will you at least come down and preach for us? I said, okay, I'll do that. So Trace and I flew down and we preached. And uh, uh, after that preaching event, the leaders here said, we want you to be our lead pastor. Would you pray about that? And then, uh, what do you do? Okay, yeah, I'll I'll pray about that. And uh, um, how do you make a decision? How do you know what God wants you to do? Well, again, if you're remembering the past, part of what God wants you to do is to follow Jesus. Isn't that correct? I mean, isn't that what we do as disciples of Jesus? We follow him. So how do you know what Jesus wants you to do? Well, we prayed and uh, fasted and sought the Lord, but we didn't have any clear leading that we were supposed to come to Fort Myers. We searched the scriptures. And I looked up Fort Myers in the concordance. It wasn't there. <laughs> I, I did find City of Palms. That's what Jericho is called, you know. Uh, my buddy Wayne Smith, he taught me, he said, Jeff, sometimes to find the Lord's leading, you look for open doors and inward feelings. Well, the door was open to come, but the door was also open to stay. There was no negative reason to leave Illinois. And uh, our inward feelings were ambivalent at best. We didn't want to move. So we, we had no clear sense of leading. 
So there's a scripture that says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every answer is from the Lord. And in the New Testament, when they came down to two equally good choices to replace Judas, they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. Now, I don't know what casting lots are, but here's what Teresa and I did. We didn't know what to do, but we just wanted to do whatever God wanted us to do. So we were in Kansas City at the North American Christian Convention, Rick, and we were sitting on a wall outside the convention center. We'd been fasting for three days, and we did our version of cast lots. You know, heads come to Fort Myers, tails stay in Illinois. <laughs> and it came up nine times in a row to move to Fort Myers, and I quit flipping. <laughs> now, I don't know what the statistical probability that is, but I just took it as a sign that God was leading us. Another sign in the interim, we had a voicemail. We didn't know who it was. So somebody left a voicemail. It said, come to Fort Myers and help us. It was Cindy Ramis and left that message that called us. And so we said yes. We came down and said yes, and we moved here. Now, before I came, I asked the leaders here, what do you want me to do? And they said, Jeff, we want you to lead us into the future. We want you to help us change. I said, remember that you said that because I knew some things needed to change. Not because anything that was happening was bad, it was just sort of out of touch with moving forward. About the same time I came here, there was a church in Minnesota that called a new pastor when he was being installed. Uh, you know, this is at the end of the 20th century, and he got up at this installation service and said, by God's grace and with his help, we will lead this church into the 19th century. And one of the deacons on the French row said, Pastor, don't you mean the 20th century? And he said, one century at a time. <laughs> there were some things that needed to change. And again, nothing was wrong. It just was a little bit out of touch. And so I said, well, who, who's in charge of what happens in the worship event? And they said, well, you are. And I said, remember that you said that. <laughs> Week two, things changed. And... Uh, we started blending services, and I don't know if you saw that pulpit in the video. It was, that pulpit was big enough you could house a, fa a family of Haitian immigrants in it. I mean, it was huge. And it was, to me, it was just like an obstacle. Uh, and so we got rid of the pulpit, and we, we started just doing things differently. Not wrong, just differently. And we had blended services, which we had some contemporary element and some traditional element. And that's like a guy who had on gray pants and a blue shirt in the Civil War. You got shot at from both sides. We had something for everybody to like, and we had something for everybody to dislike. You know, we were a great church. And finally, we bit the bullet and went to two distinctly different styles of services, and all the tension went away. Because I said, everybody, we love you. We love you. And both grew dynamically. Uh, along the way, Teresa knew this kind of undercurrent of uh, tension that comes from change was going on. And, and she, in her devotions one day, found this statement in Ephesians 5.10, six words. Find out what pleases the Lord. You know, because there were people saying, well, you need to please this group, and you need to please that group. And you know what? That's never our ambition. We want to please King Jesus. Isn't that our ambition? <laughs> Jesus is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And when the leaders adopted that as our operating principle, goal one, find out what pleases Jesus and do that. That changed everything. Now, I can tell you for me personally, Coming here was one of the best blessings of my life. In many ways, I've never left because every year we've come back multiple times, and now I'm here twice a month because of my work at uh, New International. My last eight years have been the CEO there. And it was this church that introduced me to a global vision. 
It was this church where I began to invest heavily in church planting. And can I tell you, last eight years, we've planted almost 2,000 churches at New International. You own that. That's you. That's you. And as much as it's important to reach out and plant seeds that see the kingdom come, it's also important to plant those seeds in your family. Because if we're going to please King Jesus, we share our faith with those closest to us. I'm happy to report that all my kids, all my grandkids love Jesus. In Cincinnati, four generations of our family worship together every week. My daughter, Erin, is here. My wife is here. Where are you guys? Would you raise your hands? Where are you? I can't see you. Okay, over here. And is Clayton in the room? Uh, Clayton, our 20-month-old grandson is here. And uh, I want to tell you, Erin told me today, she said, I wanted to be here because this church helped grow my faith. I got to serve for the first time here. And so, Erin, I'm glad you're here. Teresa, I'm glad you're here. Now, let me tell you one story, and I'm done. The ghost of Christmas past is going to exit stage right. Okay. A hundred years seems like a long time. But a, a few years ago, I was doing some genealogical research and was able to trace my ancestry back way further than I ever thought I would, back into the 900s. And I found an ancestor who was a French knight. His name was Arnouf de Heston. He's mentioned in a document called the Doomsday Book. My ancestor has a Wikipedia page, in fact. And the thing that was interesting about it, he fought with William the Conqueror at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. Because of that, he was awarded titles and land in England, and for the next 30 years lived a pretty happy life. But he got accused of treason. And the way a trial was held was it was single combat, you know, and <laughs> he won, obviously, or I probably wouldn't be here. Uh, but uh, he was so disgusted with that, uh, in the course of his life, he had he'd actually helped start 15 churches. He'd funded a couple of monasteries. But at the end of his life, he, he gave away all his fortune to support the advancement of the kingdom, and he joined the First Crusade. Now, the Crusade's pretty goofy, but he was wounded at the Battle of Antioch on the Orontes in Syria in 1097 A.D. And his last recorded words, people loved him, and his, his men said, let's call the physician, because he was so grievously wounded, and he said, no, the only one who can help me now is he in whose name I entered this quest. My ancestor, 27 generations ago, 25 greats on that, died with the name of Jesus on his lips. And I love that. When I found that story, I thought, who, know, who knew? I didn't even know he existed. But I had an ancestor almost a 1,000 years ago doing what I'm trying to do today, see the kingdom come planning churches, investing my life, and lifting up King Jesus. And I realized his influence had lasted a thousand years and had come to me. And what I realized is, what am I doing today that won't just make a difference a year from now or a hundred years from now, but a thousand years from now, said Jesus Terry. So ladies and gentlemen, my encouragement to you is be faithful to King Jesus. Find out what pleases the Lord. Make it the ambition and goal of your life to follow him with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind, with all your strength, and you will be the leader God wants you to be. I'm a bit overwhelmed today. Uh, I realize, I guess I'm Christmas present. Christmas. I'm a Christmas present. Uh, I realize I'm only sitting here because of the men on each side of me. Uh, Jeff hired me to do something I didn't even know what the word meant. Uh, again, he called me in January of 89 and he said, we'd like for you to come to Fort Myers and be our discipleship pastor. I'd been a youth and worship guy and I had no clue what discipleship even was. That wasn't a part of our vocabulary back then. And I said, again, like you, I said, never liked Florida. <laughs> and he was persistent through the next several months. And finally, I think it was at the North American that year in June or July, we met and he said, at least come down and see. And so I came down a week, end of July, and uh, he said, we want you to do this. And I went back, and Linda and I came down the next week and spent the weekend. And we were the same thing. We're like, man, we love, we were, we were in Mayberry, southern Indiana, mm -hmm. the perfect town to live. And we said, God, give us a sign. And the real estate market was dead. A, a nuclear plant had shut down Marble Hill, and nobody was selling houses. And we put our house in the little Scott County Journal for one day ad only. And three people called the next morning to buy our house. And uh, so I came and I was a discipleship pastor in October of 89 until December <laughs> of 89. And this is just how visionary Jeff is. He goes, listen, it's, discipleship needs to happen through small groups. Nobody was talking about small groups. He flew me to Oregon to Dale Galloway's church to learn about small groups and I became the small group pastor in January of 1990. And I failed miserably at that the next two years. And uh, I don't know if Jeff remembers this, but uh, two years later, I walked in his office broken. And I said, I, I have failed miserably at this. Give me time to find some place to go. I cannot be the small group's pastor here. And he graciously said, what do you think you want to do? And I said, let me be the children's pastor. We didn't have a lot of young families at our church, his and mine. <laughs> And uh, I said, uh, let me be the children's pastor. And he said, fine, never mention small groups again. You be the children's pastor. And so from 92 to 95, I was. And then in 95, when he bailed on us, <laughs> when God led him someplace else, and the guy said, would you be the preacher? You just solved it. I'm like, he's the best speaker I've ever known. And for six years, I've, I've sat under him. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You want me to get up on Sunday after you've had years of this? And uh, the people were very tolerant, and it was cheaper to keep me than find somebody else. And uh, that, that, was, that was the past. So anyway, I just need to say thank you for that. I'm here because of you. And he plays it off as easy, the stuff that he did. I tell people this. My ministry, when I, when I started preaching in 95, we did have tremendous unbelievable success for 10 years because he plowed the ground, moved the rocks, wears the scars. I didn't have to have leadership battles. I didn't have, transparency is not new to me, so, you know. I didn't have elders flipping over tables in meetings yelling at me. 
I didn't have elders challenging each other to fights in the parking lot. I didn't go home from elders meetings being threatened to being fired. I didn't deal with that, but he did for years to turn that ship so that when it was handed to me, we were already headed in the right direction. My ministry was so easy because of the scars that he carries. And uh, <clears throat> now on the other hand, <laughs> on the other side, I'm also here because of Matt, because when we started the transition a few years ago, we said it would take the right kind of person to allow me to stay. And uh, it's been phenomenal. And uh, <clears throat> we're so off script. <laughs> None of that I was supposed to say. I'm supposed to talk about the present and the importance of that. And, you know, the present is kind of like I am. You, you know, I grew up as a middle child for a lot of years, and, and then my little sister was born. But, you know, the middle child gets no attention. Everybody talks about the firstborn, the past, they, you know, and the baby. And when you're the middle child, and if we're not careful... In our lives, that's how we see today. We talk about the past and we share stories and then we get excited about the future. And yet what we need to realize, where is God? He's today. He's here. Was he in the past? Yes, but we're not going to be there. Will he be in the future? Yes, but that's not what we have to hold out. He's here today. And we get so distracted by our baggage, our scars from the past or our successes we were joking earlier about, you know, the guys in their 40s who still wear their letterman jacket. <laughs> you know, we're like, at some point you got to move on. And, uh, and it's like, um, so, and, and that's been my, you know, I don't know what time it is. You've got to watch. 11.36. So for 84 days, 11 hours and 36 minutes, I've been pondering what it means to live in today because that's how long I've been retired. And it's a daily ponderance. And... And I'll, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm so blessed. But it, you guys have, you all warned me, some of you are retired. This is not easy. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was on the Appalachian Trail with the men's group, and we were hiking and uh, got to spend the first week with Mark Webb, which has become a special week for me, and uh, a week with the other guys who are always special. But uh, we hike by ourselves because everybody hikes at a different pace. And usually a song gets in my head, and, and I have to do that to take my mind off the amazing pain I'm in. And uh, this year, two songs kept rolling, and Blessed Assurance, this is my story. You that have been around a while know that's my favorite hymn. And uh, the other one was one that surprised me. It's an old hymn called He Leadeth Me. And uh, just the chorus says, he leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his strong hand, he leadeth me. And then the next line, his faithful follower, I will be. And I realized that's all that's necessary for today. You know, God will write the story. If we will be faithful followers today, it's great, the history that we have, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all good because it got us here. I am so excited about the future and that somebody else is leading it. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, and sidebar, you don't know the pressure of being a lead pastor. You, you just don't know. And uh, if you don't pray for this guy every day, shame on you. Because the day I stood here last November and said, I introduced to you my new boss and your new lead pastor, 
the physical weight that left my shoulders. And, and he now walks with that. And we talked this last week. I said, you know what? When you're a lead pastor, it's hard for you to live in today because you get so focused on tomorrow. But somehow we have to find a way to do that. And so do each of you. Today is where God is. Today I will be light. Today I will be salt. Today I will get up in the morning and say, God, a faithful follower I will be. You lead me. And that's where we need to be today. So as we, we reflect upon the past, as we talk about living in the present, I also want to acknowledge that the beautiful things I get to participate in here are because of the people who have gone before me. And I want to say thank you to both of these guys, and, and especially to Gary, who has been so welcoming and so helpful to me. And he was our lead pastor for 25 years, which is a fourth of the life of this church. And let's just give him recognition for that. Yeah, and I'm just going to stay standing because I want to make sure I'm eye level with you guys as you're seated. <laughs> also, as we talk about the past and the present, I just want to take a moment to ask you if you have ever been on staff at First Christian Church, I would like for you to stand up right now. If you have been on staff here, we want to stand and we want to recognize the contribution you have made to the ministry here. And to our current staff, the staff we have now, uh, because they are here now, they're not on the storyboards. They're not on the exhibit in the lobby. But we are here doing this celebration today because of them. And they have put an extraordinary amount of work into this weekend for us. And I just want to recognize the incredible staff we have and the incredible work, especially led by Melissa Hillman, to make this weekend happen. So thank you. One hundred years ago in our movement, the mission was seemingly to plant new churches. We knew that we would the communities and there were Baptist churches and there were Presbyterian churches and there were Catholic churches and there were Methodist churches and there were Lutheran churches. But there was a desire to plant churches that were not named after people or not named after doctrine, but named after Jesus. And so there was a movement to plant Christian churches and churches of Christ. And for generations, our movement did an extraordinary job of planting new churches. A hundred years ago, we're a part of that. And so all across the country, there were little tiny struggling churches that we call Christian churches and churches of Christ. And while we were planting new churches, we weren't doing an incredible job of reaching new people with the gospel. We were drawing people from other churches and other denominations, but evangelism and reaching people and growing churches really wasn't our strong suit. So about 50 years ago in our movement, there was a shift. 
And those 50 years are really what all three of us were raised in. And a, a shift, not away from planting churches, but asking the question, how can we reach as many people as possible with the gospel? And many of the things we did were designed to draw people into our churches. And we did that extraordinarily well. And churches like ours across the country begin to grow into churches of hundreds and thousands. And yes, even into the tens of thousands. But the last few years, there's something else that we have recognized in our movement. We've recognized that while we were planting churches well, and while we were reaching lots of people, drawing them into our churches, we really weren't doing a great job of helping people be more like Jesus. And so, yes, we were creating churchgoers, and we were helping people believe, but we weren't doing an incredible job of creating Christ followers. And I want to mention that because not only in our movement, but in our church, and you, you've heard it from both of these gentlemen today, as we move forward, we're going to continue to plant new churches. In fact, we're partnering with a new church that's going to launch next year in Naples. And we're going to continue to do everything we can to draw as many people who are outside into this family. But our greatest emphasis is going to be, are we following Jesus, not just going to church, but really following Jesus. And we're going to ask the question, in everything we do, are we becoming better disciples of Jesus? That's what out in our lobby, the ABCs of discipleship is about that path of what steps do we need to take to grow as disciples of Jesus. And more and more as you, you lean in and hear us preach, you're going to hear about the great commandment, loving God and loving people. And you're going to hear about the great commission, making disciples of all people wherever we go. And you're going to hear more and more about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says very difficult things. Like love, not just your neighbor, but your enemies. And pray for your persecutors. And make peace with those who have hurt you. And live a life of discernment and truth, but also of non-judgment. An invitation to open your home and your table, not just to people like you, but to all kinds of people, just like Jesus. If we could move into the future, the mission on my heart is not just that we are Christians, but that we are red letter Christians, a people committed to following Jesus. And that's where we're headed. And you know, there are a lot of 100-year-old churches, and most of them are struggling to keep their doors open. But FCC at 100 years continues to thrive. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.